0: You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. In cooperation with the American Medical Association Foundation and in association with the Pfizer Medical Humanities Initiative, ReachMD is proud to bring you the following interview with Dr. Joyce D. Kirkland Essien, recipient of the Pride in the Profession Award from the 2008 AMA Foundation Excellence in Medicine Awards, held March 31st in Washington, D.C., your host for the interview is Dr. Mark Kina.
1: Dr. Essien, congratulations on your award, and thank you for speaking with Reach MD. Thank you. Dr. Essien, can you take us into your background to give us an idea where your early interest lay? Was there anything specific that compelled you towards medicine, specifically pathology?
2: If I were to be absolutely honest, <laughs> I would say that my first love was, in fact, music, and I was a... Horrific musician, and I'm sure that many of my music instructors are in therapy as we speak. My favorite subjects, however, have always been science and math, and I've had always a curiosity about how the body works, as simple as that, from as long as I could remember. So I would say that my notions about studying medicine began quite early because I had an intellectual curiosity. My passion, however, was music.
1: Dr. Essien, many can say you've been somewhat of a pioneer throughout your career as a physician. Along with the many programs you have founded, you're the first woman and minority appointed as a program director at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Does this distinction hold a special place of pride or perhaps accomplishment for you?
2: Not especially, in the sense that I think that it is challenging to imagine where medicine has not moved in sort of embracing the need to ensure that we have representation of all the populations that are served by physicians but like many other professional fields it has been challenging in a field that is very competitive for individuals who don't look like the images of physicians to somehow navigate their way through an interview and to acceptance in medical school and through a residency and into the profession. So one could say that it has less to do with me than the inevitable. (laughs) Someone was going to be the first, and that just happened to be me.
1: What have been the motivations for you as your life as a doctor has progressed? And what lies central to the work that you're now involved in?
2: Well, the first half of my career was as a pathologist, and I'm a board-certified pathologist in anatomic and clinical pathology. And it became fairly clear to me that diagnosing more and more disease more accurately was not, in fact, creating more health. And as a minority, one cannot escape the fact that we have significant populations in the U.S. who have not benefited from the advances in our medical-industrial complex. So I can't ever somehow escape that reality as a black female as a mother, as a daughter, as a cousin, as a sister. And whenever one engages the minority community in this country, one is cognizant of the barrier that's created by communities that carry a disproportionate burden of disease. So these are matters that are personally issues that concern me. And my curiosity as a pathologist has sort of helped me travel from examining the patterns that are associated with health and disease to examining the societal patterns that are associated with health and disease and the principles upon which our country is founded, and that's equity and equal opportunity. So it seems like a great leap. But it really isn't. It's not something that anyone of color in the health professions can escape. And I guess I've just made a 180-degree turn that may be a little different from others because I am interested in the opportunities to really define a system and its attributes and the competencies that would be needed to assure that we have a system that provides equal access and that more broadly, we have a society that recognizes that we have to address the conditions that are necessary to maintain health and how do we integrate what we do inside the medical system with what we have to do as a society to assure conditions in which all people have the opportunity to achieve their health potential.
1: Along those lines, can you speak with us about what you're specifically working on?
2: Well, my work in some ways might appear abstract. Most of my work is at a systems level, and I am working, for example, now with MIT-trained modelers, and we've developed and designed a syndemic model of diabetes. It's The spine of that model is a population flow map that aggregates... All of what we know about the disease as populations move from healthy to pre diabetic to diabetes and to diabetes with complications and to death. And it becomes pretty clear that we haven't discerned how best to leverage our health and health promoting assets in ways that we have. An understanding of the strategic opportunities and interventions that will be required to interrupt the tsunami that has the potential for collapsing our healthcare system. 25% of the U.S. population is pre diabetic, and that is the only stage that is reversible. So we utilize the model to engage cross-sectoral stakeholders, a place where there is no governance over public, private and community, to facilitate the dialogue and the deliberations that better inform how we as communities and as systems can best leverage in a strategic way our assets to interrupt the progression of this disease in the society. Syndemic modeling is used in many other fields. It is new to health. I look to other fields for tools and resources that have been utilized to inform decisions in a complex environment. And we're dealing with complexities that extend beyond what we know how to do as physicians. And then the questions are, how do we create a Platform that leverages what we know as physicians with the kinds of assets, skills, and competencies that are needed to create the conditions that sustain health. So that's one of the things that I'm doing. I'm generally interested in deliberation support. How do we make better decisions? How do we bring the evidence to the table when decisions are being made? So a second project, that I'm involved in now is in partnership with the University of Missouri, Dr. Chris Fulcher. Dr. Fulcher's staff of 20 have, over the last 15 years, developed an ability to aggregate more than 500 data sets on a geographic information system platform. And so literally, we can drill down into a community at the block level and define both the conditions that exist and the assets, and better understand the interplay of those that reinforce health and those that would appear to create disease. And it gives us a much sharper picture of who needs to be at the table, what kinds of partnerships need to be developed, and it provides a benchmark that tells us whether we're making any progress.
1: Can you describe how it feels to have your work regarded so highly by your peers and recognized with the 2008 Pride in the Profession Award?
2: I'm not accustomed to being recognized in that way because often I am raising questions and pushing back on what we often define as success, but that leaves many populations behind. So I would say that this is a new experience. And like in many fields, when you raise the hard questions and you elevate the undiscussable, <laughs> the things that we haven't accomplished, it's not always something that you're rewarded for or recognized for. And I would say that when I talk to individuals who I consider to be innovators, they all have in common the experiences really of finding that it's often hazardous to your health, because your professional health, because it challenges the way things are, and it questions what is. So this is a new experience for me.
1: What do you envision for the future impact of your work?
2: I think the work that I'm doing with the syndemic modeling has huge implications for not leaving populations behind who carry a disproportionate burden of disease. And it really forces us to the table to be quite specific about the assets that are necessary, how they have to be aligned, and what success would look like. As a second year medical student, several of my classmates, including Larry Brilliant, who now is the CEO for the Google Foundation, (laughs) we started the first free clinic in a public housing development across the expressway from the medical school. It seemed unreasonable that a thousand yards from medical school that families were living in conditions whose health status looked no different than that of individuals living in the developing world. How could that be? So, also... As a second-year medical student, it was clear that we weren't making much progress in developing a diverse workforce. And another classmate and I, Dave Hoakanga, who's a cardiologist in New Mexico, and a faculty member, Dr. Charles Whitten, who's a sickle cell researcher, we started a post-baccalaureate program. So for students of color who were not admitted to the medical school after interview and who met certain Other criteria, they were given an opportunity to participate in a post-baccalaureate year. And upon completion, successful completion of that program, they were guaranteed a place in the next year's class. That program has now produced the largest percentage of African-American graduates of Wayne State Medical School. So, I mean, there are many stories like that. (laughs)
1: Dr. Joyce D. Kirkland Essien, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Congratulations
0: again on your award. You have been listening to a special interview from the 2008 AMA Foundation Excellence in Medicine Awards on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to or download this program, please visit ReachMD.com and register with the promotion code AMAF.